This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Tim Prady will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Good afternoon, everybody. Today, it is November 29th. Markets seem to be falling for the second day on Tuesday. Traders are looking ahead to Jerome Powell speeds, and we got a jobs report later in the week. Tim, uh, let's kind of discuss, you know, what's going on. There's obviously been somewhat of a sell-off the last couple of days of result, largely what China's, what's happened in China, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the protests and issues of lingering supply constraints. So, yeah, let's provide some color on what's been going on. Yeah. I mean, outside of China, it's been kind of, a, it's a little bit of a boring tape. Like the market's just kind of bouncing around. We haven't really gone anywhere for the past month. Volatility, VIX has come in a little bit. As you say, we have Powell tomorrow. Now, we've already had a lot of Fed speak, so I think we have a good sense of what Powell will say tomorrow, which is that we still don't have enough clarity on inflation, and we certainly don't have enough clarity on the wage side uh, to bring an end to things. The the market is priced in for 50 uh, in December, and then maybe 25, and maybe another 25. I don't think you'll get any change to the way the market is pricing in the Fed after this week. We get non-far payrolls on Friday. Look, I don't know what the NFP is going to look like on Friday, but you are finally starting to see some softening in labor. And I think at some point, whether it's this month or next month, you know, you're going to see that negative non-farm payroll print. Now, you're already seeing weakness on the household survey. There's the argument that the household survey picks up inflections better than the non-farm payrolls. Uh, but, you know, we are we are starting to soften. And I think that, as I always say, the first thing that you're going to see that really softens is on the housing side. People have to remember, housing is up 35, 35, 35% since the onset of the pandemic. Uh, and, you know, interest rates have gone from three to seven. Uh, you are not going to not retrace some of that 35% move. Uh, I think we are starting to see the very beginnings of a contraction. ISMs on the service side are running around on the service and on the good side are running around 48 in the U.S. and in Europe. And I think it's just a matter of time uh, until you start to see much slower consumer activity, much weaker housing activity. And we can officially say that, yeah, we're in a recession here. Moody's just came out with a report putting an actual dollar figure on the average household in terms of inflation. And, you know, they say that inflation's raised spending by 433 a month. I mean, obviously it's down, uh, wasn't down in October from a year ago, uh, but we're still, you know, lingering at some of the highest periods since the 1980s. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, I mean, right now, um, food has been, was been a big one. And then, you know, we've also seen, um, Amongst that, you know, obviously gasoline, but right now it seems to be uh, just food and some of the, those general baskets have been the highest from October. Yeah. I remember on the good side, you're already starting to see, as you say, outside of food. Um, but, you know, freight costs have come in so much. Um, you are going to see uh, more weakness on the good side. There's no doubt about it. Uh, the question is, is on the wage side, is on the services side, because services is so dependent on wages and our theme, and it really is unchanged, is that the Fed is pulling their hair out uh, because there's still such strong wage growth. I mean, the last 
uh, small business, the NFIFB, NFIB came out and said, what, you know, what's the biggest issue? Finding people. Small businesses all over the country still can't find people even at a much lower rate. As you say, on the good side, you know, the spending is up, but units are down. So it's like if you look at an individual stock, let's say you looked at a retailer and <clears throat> they were only making it on price. They were only comping positively because of price, but units were down and traffic was down. Well, that's not a stock that you're going to want to own. And I think the same can be said for the whole economy. When you're only growing on price, but units and traffic are down, that's not a good setup. I mean, right now it seems to be that despite this substantial majority of Fed officials say it's time to slow down the bank's current um, pace of rate hikes. We look at minutes uh, from this previous Wednesday, definitely showed shines of yeah. uh, shifting away, you know, interest rates by 0.75. You alluded to, you know, 50 basis points. Uh, so, you know, is there anything that they might see that changes course? I think you got to see a real crack in wages. I think you got to see a real crack on the service side. Like autos is skewing things a little bit right now. Medical cost is skewing things a little right now. That's why you never want to look at one CPI report or one PCE report, but just the overall trend. You want to look at all the preponderance of data. But I think that what the Fed is <clears throat> going to be having to deal with is, is, is wages being so sticky. And I think you're going to have to see higher unemployment and you're going to have to see a real breakdown on the wage growth side. One thing that has been interesting in the Fed speak is everybody has been very clear that we are not going to go to 3%. We are not going to target 3%. We're not going to target 3.5%. We're going to 2%. Bullard said something along the lines of like, it would be idiotic to, to, to go for 3 or 3.5%. They got to get to 2%. And if they're going to 2%, they got a long ways to go on the wage side and on the employment side. Let's talk about... Uh... Since we spoke last, there's definitely been a blockchain fallout. Um, you know, we had, you know, FTX more or less collapse, file for bankruptcy. Uh, they're going after SBF's house in the Bahamas. I don't think he has a single asset to his name anymore. Uh, on paper, it was at $1.32 in crypto, and now it's nothing tangible. Um, so absolutely wild to see. I, I know we don't talk about crypto much here, but it's just been so sporadic and wild. I figured we'd bring it up this week. Well, I mean, look, <clears throat> the one way it's tangible is there's going to be a wealth effect here. I mean, there's a whole lot of young people, a lot, lot of people in general, who thought they were a hell of a lot wealthier than they were. I mean, hell, Sam Bankman thought he was a lot, Sam Bankman <laughs> free, thought he was a lot wealthier than yeah. he was. But, <laughs> you know, like you had a bank run, right? And you had a bank run because there was a collective epiphany that, holy shit, the only thing sitting in this bank are a bunch of bullshit tokens that if, that if somebody wants to make a, a meaningful sale, all of a sudden there's really nothing here. There's, there, there's, there's, there's nothing really under uh, supporting this whole thing. And that's what you've had. You've had a series of bank runs because the assets weren't tangible assets. They were they were bullshit. They were FTT tokens or some other tokens that have no inherent value. So look, what the value is in Bitcoin itself, I don't know. I'm not necessarily a bear on Bitcoin itself right here, because as we get into an inflationary world, as we get into a world where, you know, fiat currencies and, and, and the only way that 
uh, countries can can manage their way out of their debt issues is to is to print money. Who knows? Maybe Bitcoin will be again seen as a, a safe asset. But man, this industry is begging for regulation. Ultimately, you you have to have regulation in order to have credibility and to give people confidence. I mean, the only sound advice I hear around these they're around Bitcoin now is that you need to be you know in cold wallets. You know, you need to be offline. That if you're holding your tokens in some account at FTX or any one of these entities, you know, you may not be able to pull them out when you want to. Uh, so I just I, I think in tangible terms for the economy, there's a negative wealth effect, not only to the S&P being down 20 percent, but also to the trillions that have been lost uh, in in all of these different cryptocurrency schemes. But I think the long term effect of it is that there's going to be much, much greater uh, regulation. I must say I've been really surprised that Gary Gensler has been so weak. I, I really thought he would have come in and been much more muscular and and I just I don't really get it. I don't get why um the SEC and the CFTC have just sat back and allowed this stuff to happen. Maybe they don't get it either. It's you talk about regulation and you know Sam was obviously a massive campaign contributor to the yeah. Democratic Party, but a lot of that was going to primaries as well you know, juxtaposing the Elizabeth Warren kind of camp of that party who want to regulate versus, you know, candidates who aren't talking about regulating crypto so much. Um, you know, you have uh, two months, you know, of the Senate and Congress in their lame duck session. I Maybe they do something then, or maybe it could be something bipartisan where you could pick up in 2023 and talk about crypto. I just don't really understand where in the political environment people of either party really stand on it, or if there's just kind of, you know, it, it might be bipartisan, right? Is there Democrats and Republicans who want to regulate versus Democrats and Republicans who don't want to regulate? I mean, where I think, are the umbrella I think are people? I think ultimately both sides will want to regulate, but the, 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 the onus right now is on, I think the regulators is on the agencies. Uh, and a guy like Gensler needs to be a lot more forceful uh, and there needs to be prosecution. There needs to be very real prosecution of not just Sam Bankman-Fried, but all these clowns who are out there pumping a lot of crap that shouldn't be getting sold uh, to pensioners and and you know people who rely on that money. Um, there, there's just I think there's been a lot more pump and dump than people realize. Um, and I think anybody and everybody who's been involved in that needs to get prosecuted. Yeah, no, I was I was surprised looking at some of the pensions who had exposure um, to to crypto because obviously most 401k platforms, you know, you can't find it. You don't don't have it. But, you know, in terms of pensions, there was exposure, which is just wild to me. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, you look at these entities like like a Sequoia and they talk about the due diligence that they did. And it's embarrassing. Like mm -hmm. what do what due diligence? What due diligence did you actually do? Um you know, it just it, it's like it's like there's whole this whole dynamic where nobody gets it and everybody goes, I guess it's real. I don't know. Sequoia is in it. All these other smart guys are in it. I guess it's real. I didn't really do any due diligence because I don't get it. But shit, everybody's making money like, you know, that that FOMO uh, can happen even at what are perceived as the most, you know, uh, sophisticated levels of Wall Street. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Other big development uh, we've mentioned a little bit in the beginning is obviously protests in China. 
yeah. really kicked off in a city, Aramki, after an apartment complex mm. set on fire. And due to COVID protocols, they had blocked the emergency exit doors, uh, you know, which resulted in a lot of deaths. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you see people who have been called back from rural areas to cities to work in factories with bonuses. Now they have gone back to zero COVID and they're getting shut down. So a lot of, you know, discontentment really in terms of China, some of the largest protests you've seen since the Tiananmen Square era. And, you know, we just wonder where it all goes. Yeah. You know, the risk with any autocrat is obviously succession. But the near term real risk with Xi is, is he incompetent? Does, is he really just kind of an incompetent? And he certainly seems like it right now. Um, you know, but they've got a real problem on their hands in terms of they don't have immunities. They don't have people who have been getting exposed. So while the Omicron statistics in the U.S. and Europe may look uh, like it hasn't been that bad, like, you know, for the vast majority of people, it's just like a like a mild flu or something. But that may not be the case in China. But I don't think he's got any choice. I mean, his economy is imploding. Um, if you look at the statistics on like exports out of South Korea, exports out of Taiwan to China, you're talking about numbers down 20 percent, 25 percent. You know, you still have the really near term problem and I think maybe even a long term problem of the real estate market, which was, again, not unlike Bitcoin, just a greater fool theory. If somebody else is going to buy this asset that generates no cash flow from me for more money then I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, and, and it came to an end. And I don't see how you instill confidence in a market where there just isn't a fundamental bottom there. Like, you know, with the great financial crisis in the United States, we had a bad bubble. Prices got way overinflated. Affordability got crazy. But you didn't have these massive cities of 25 and 30 percent vacancy rates. Um, and that's what you've got in China. And I just think it's going to be a very, very long road until you find a bottom in that real estate market. And I've said it before, it's a huge part of savings. People don't have 401ks, uh, upper and middle class people don't have 401ks as much as they have apartments that they own. And unfortunately, a lot of those apartments are empty and they're not worth very much. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that wealth effect in China is going to have a very, and you know, you think about it too. The big issue that China has is they don't have a they don't have enough consumption, uh, and that isn't going to get better with, with the negative wealth effect that you're going to have from housing in China. Yeah, I mean, you know, you just had the IMF managing director um, speak, and they're thinking the IMF is looking at downgrading uh, China's GDP already going into 2023. Uh, you know, the average GDP outlook is just not great. You know, if it's sitting at two, seven or three or whatever it is, that's, you know, counting a bunch of the developed world. So, yeah, you're more or less assuming that, you know, developed countries and countries like China go negative. Hell yeah. It, yeah China's yeah. real numbers are negative. And I thought, I thought the global IMF number was even lower than that for 2023. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, China was the engine of growth, right? The, the great growth engine. Well, now they have a huge demographic problem. They obviously have a productivity problem. Um, and at the same time that Europe is going to be looking at zero to one percent growth, the United States is going to, you know, toddle around here at zero and one percent growth. I just don't see where 
uh, global growth is going to come from. This long, this readjustment uh, to China manufacturing is going to be a very long, painful process. Even if Xi says we're throwing the doors open uh, and no restrictions, which obviously isn't going to happen, but you know he, he he's got to open the doors a little bit. But either way. I think you're looking at global growth, and I realize in emerging markets you still have some workforce growth, and that that keeps the numbers buoyant and above zero. Um, but it's going to be de minimis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the C- the Chinese Communist Party will have to figure out um, whether they allow the man to be more powerful than the party. I mean, they changed term limits uh, really since Mao. Yes, it's. A one-party yeah. state, but you know the political apparatus has been more important than the man. So, do they yeah. change leadership? Uh, do they, you know, invite G to move somewhere else? Uh, I mean, who knows? <laughs> but um, what do you think we, you know, overlooked, Tim? Like you said in the beginning, I mean, news has been kind of boring yeah. over the last couple of weeks, uh, and you know, know it I seems think like Thanksgiving that, was a big year. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. I, I think housing is still the is still the number one thing to watch because. Uh, I really do think you have such meaningful downside to housing. So while I'll be looking at employment statistics and the and 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 so forth, I think housing is the big one. And then also, as you start to get into Q4 earnings and companies start guiding for 2023, I think it's going to become clear that we're looking at an S&P earnings power number that is closer to 200 than 220, and with an S&P at around 4,000, you're at 20 times earnings. So 20 times earnings means you've got a 5% earnings yield, which is about the same that you're getting in short-term treasury, which means that there is zero equity risk premium in equities. I just don't think that can hold up. So the two things that I'm looking for really are earnings guidance that really shows that numbers have to come down. Look, it's going to be the street and the companies that are the last to admit it. All the forward-looking <clears throat> indicators, all the sentiment indicators and so forth tell you that we're going there. Uh, and then on the housing side, we're, you know, we're going to start to see negative year-over-year numbers. We're already seeing negative month-over-month numbers, um, but supply is finally starting to come on here. Look, you're going to have four sellers. We're in a great situation in the United States that so many homeowners have 30-year mortgages, um, but a lot of people don't, and a lot of people are going to be four sellers at much higher rates. And with affordability where it is historically poor. Prices just simply have to come down, and I don't think that the market is really discounting how painful, and I keep saying this word, but the wealth effect, this term, the wealth effect is going to be from higher real estate prices and what that does to confidence. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thanks for your time today, Tim. Uh, For all our listeners and subscribers, uh, thank you, and we're out. We'll be back next week. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WellFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. 
Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.